with that program, the young lady has she has gotten few trainings. Right now, she owns her own business. She is into handcraft, wow. so she designs. Uh, yeah, she designs horses, small wallets, hang handbags, and all that. And she has also benefited from a funding opportunity from USAID. We helped her craft her proposals. We did all the paperwork with her. And right now, she's financially stable. She has a small shop in her village. And yeah, she has a decent income and she can provide for her family and for her sick dad right now. This is Climate Opportunity. Climate Opportunity. Climate Opportunity Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another super interesting episode of the Climate Opportunity Podcast. I'm excited for today's episode because this is one episode that... (laughs) This is one episode that has been through all sorts of highs and lows and finally we're getting to do it i remember talking to a friend from djibouti his name is jama i told jama that my first guest on this podcast is going to be someone from someone from djibouti and he went all raving about djibouti and all of that man i'm letting the cat out of the basket already but just to tell you the first person i spoke with when i conceived the idea of the climate opportunity podcast is my guest today she was number one on the list but some way somehow she's number what now i think she's gonna be number five number five i think (laughs) yeah because episode four is not out yet but there's a fourth episode already and she's gonna be number five but i'm just trying to tell you that she's been here from the beginning or even before the beginning of the podcast so you're getting to meet one of the people that gave me the ginger to start this podcast ladies and gentlemen please welcome umi yasin Umi, how are you? Hi, Daniel. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Long way coming, but here we are now. (laughs) Yes, finally. We've had to reschedule like God knows how many times, but we're here. And I want to say thank you for your resilience and your commitment. Honestly, it's... You are welcome and you are definitely great. We thank you too for having us. Thank you. Let's get into the conversation. So a good number of my listeners are most likely going to be meeting you for the first time on this podcast. In a manner that is typical of me, I believe that introductions are personal and people should introduce themselves because it's like a personal story and no one can tell your story better than yourself. So Rumi, please introduce yourself. Okay, the floor is mine. Yes, it is. Hi, everyone. So I am... Um Khair Yasin Abdi, but popularly known <laughs> as Umi. I hail from East Africa, Djibouti. I am a climate change analyst and environmental specialist. I've got my degrees from the University of Science and Technology in Malaysia. And then currently I work at the Ministry of Health as an environmental specialist. Aside from that, I own a very new, I must say, it's a baby, an NGO that works with women and young girls in order to empower them to 
build this trend and resilience in climate change. Aside from that, I have had the chance, or must I say, the opportunity to participate in the prestigious, I must say, Mandela Washington Fellowship of this year. And I had the, the, the chance to meet awesome young African leaders, which you are one of them right now, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, we met through, through, through that program. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful. So that will be a very short introduction about myself. I don't like talking about myself. So yeah, here we go. You yeah. have it. There's, there's this thing with great people not wanting to, you know, turn the spotlight on themselves all the time. Amazing. Great. Thank you. It's, it's a pleasure meeting you. And I'm grateful for the platform and the opportunity that the Mandela Washington Fellowship provided us and making this possible. And it's a, it's a real opportunity. It's a real privilege to be connected with someone like you. Okay. Um, having said that, having said that, because I cannot say it enough, what, with, with having this conversation to talk about climate change, because you're a climate change analyst, and we're going to be talking about Djibouti. And talking about Djibouti, what are the realities that people are confronted with in Djibouti when it comes to climate change? Okay, before I go into responding to your question, first of all, I would like to present Djibouti into the African map, right? So mm -hmm. Djibouti in East Africa, that, that very, 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 very corner of East Africa, it's bordered by Ethiopia, Somalia, and Eritrea at the north. And then the country has an arid tropical weather. We are actually like a semi-desert. The whole country is dry and arid. So because of its geographical location, it falls under the equatorial line. So except for the mountainous region at the north of the country, the whole country is actually known for high temperature and very high rate of evaporation throughout the whole year. So it's dry, humid and hot. That's the weather in the country. And then these temperatures increase aridity. It also increases water scarcity and rising sea level, which in turn give the space for droughts to, to happen. Currently, we have recorded four failed rainy seasons and very low rainfall levels in the region, the whole region of East Africa. And this change in, in the hydrological cycle has brought about severe droughts and dryness of the soil. This has substantially caused socioeconomic unrest due to water and food insecurity. These few factors that I just mentioned are also exacerbated by the conflict in Russia and Ukraine mm -hmm. by COVID-19. And then the whole Horn of Africa included my country, Djibouti, is at a very high risk of famine. And for some remote area in Kenya, Ethiopia, Somalia, and Djibouti, you're actually talking about the hunger crisis right now. Because wow. about 20 million people are under a hunger crisis like right now. They need urgent food and water supply. So that's mainly how the climate change has impacted my country and the whole region. 
we are also talking about displacement of people because when you do not have something to eat and what to drink you go and look for greener pastures right yeah so yeah. for the first time we're talking about climate immigrants we know about conflicts immigrants now we are having climate immigrants we are having people that are moving from their areas moving from their homes not because of conflict and wars but because of climate change wow so yeah i think if you a brief introduction of the situation in the region and in my country honestly nothing could be more gloomy than the picture you have painted and it's it's worrisome right and yeah, it, it is worrisome but then it's global warming it's everywhere in the planet people are talking about global global warming and actually we are having one of the biggest summit in the whole planet the cop 27 mm-hmm. uh, where we have our leaders um, debate and talk about about the whole issue but in this part of Africa, in East Africa, we have recorded unprecedented level of high temperatures. So now finding the solutions reside in seeing the opportunities where other people might see devastation. That's yeah. being optimistic. That's being optimistic, but then that's that's how we should approach these issues because I don't see any other other, other approach that will be more effective than, than this one. Great, great. I mean, the reason I'm having this conversation with you is because of your your perspective in, in approaching that problem. You just mentioned that we have to look at it as an opportunity, right? And right. you have found an opportunity in this climate crisis, right? And you, you've decided to couch a pathway for women empowerment. And I honestly, I hate that word. I'm not going to lie. I, I don't like people saying women empowerment. <laughs> I don't understand it. What I just, would you say? It, it's, it feels like you're giving people what is theirs already, you know? So I, yeah. I really don't like yeah. it. Um, yeah. So instead of saying women empowerment, can we just create can we just allow women you don't need to empower women women are powerful by themselves just give people the opportunity to do things that they want to do and things that they're capable of doing you know take the walls off and let them express themselves Mm -hmm. that's why whenever like i am pitching my project ideas i don't most of the time i use empowerment as a a title because it it attracts the (laughs) yeah it looks like that Yes. That's the language yes. we understand. Yes, yes. But what I use is building resilience, building capacity and strengthening women economically and also working on, on their level of education, promoting the right inclusion, the gender inclusion. I will say the gender inclusion in climate action. Mm-hmm. So let's not use women empowerment, mm-hmm. uh, but then let's use the rights for women to be present at a decision-making board, at taking their own life into their own hands and being capable of, of helping themselves. Absolutely. All right, so let's talk about what you're doing with women. Let's look into that. And um, you've already started already. So let's talk more about that because that's the opportunity that you have found and that's the parts that you've created to support women. Do you want to talk more about it? So you've just talked about 
what you're doing with women. Um, but can you give us like more insights into what you're doing and how you're creating a pathway for women? Just a summary of what you're doing with women. Sure. So we, as I mentioned earlier, our NGO is, is a very new NGO. So one of our first projects that it's actually targeting women and young girls in areas that have been affected by drought and by climate change, what we are doing is we first of all drafted the situation on ground. We studied the situation on ground and then we came up with a project that women will benefit from. This project consists of three different parts in order to effectively and inclusively respond to the socioeconomic challenges caused by the recurrent droughts um, and water scarcity. The first stage of the project actually consists on addressing the mistakes of the past mm-hmm. on the role of women and young girls in the fight against the climate change. Well, let's not, let's not say the fight because we cannot fight against climate change. We can only be prepared against the impact. Absolutely, right? I agree. Yeah, so yeah, it's based on advocacy for gender inclusion in climate action and subvention because we know that women are more impacted by by the changes of the environment. Actually, when you have about 60% of African farmers being women, you will want to empower them more, right? You will want to equip them more. So many opportunities on so many uh, methods so that they can be ready for the next floods, they can be ready for the next drought and they can actually address these issues more appropriately. So that's the first stage of the project, building awareness, advocating for women inclusion into climate change. Mm -hmm. These segments also promote gender equity while engaging the civil society into climate program, internship, entrepreneurship workshops, agribusiness trainings. Most of the time we notice that men are more present when we are trying to build the community's strength, when we are trying to offer, when we are trying to train people in, in workshops related to climate change, we notice that men are present in the room. But then women, that are impacted on the ground are not there. So what we want to do with yeah, what we want to do with this phase of the project is to bring more women in attendance for this sort of programs, for this sort of trainings, so that they can benefit from the knowledge, they can get their capacity built, they can be aware of the changes that's happening around them, so that when they go to their homes, their family, they will be there to respond, right? Mm-hmm. The second phase of the project addressed the needs of the moment. And we're doing that by highlighting the challenges and the opportunities that exist, right? It provides capacity building. Right now we are working with 150 women from local um, civil society organization around the whole country. Yes, we are training them on sustainable agricultural practices because most of them are not aware on how to deal with the soil, mm-hmm. on how to handle the nature. We get everything from Mother Nature, but we're not thankful to Mother Nature. We destroy it. 
not because we want to do that but i think it's because of lack of awareness and lack of knowledge so this phase of the project is built in a way to teach and train these women on how to practice sustainable agricultural practices on how to use natural resources more sustainably and also we teach them their right to own access use and inherit land because where i'm from women do not really have the right to own their own land that right is oh. is rather given to men yes a woman cannot just come out today and be like okay this is my land and i want to do farming right so we create awareness around their rights for them to own their own lands and yeah that's this phase the next stage of the project it's the last one but it's not the least it aims to pave the way to build an environmentally conscious generation by the power of education so mm-hmm. for this phase what we want to do and it's in the future what we are planning to do we are planning to collaborate with women legislators women that are sitting and representing other women in the national assembly because we want to push and pass a bill that we introduce notions of climate change and environment at primary school we want to create environmentally conscious generation the generations that are coming must act differently than us mm-hmm. right absolutely yes they must be environmentally friendly people and for that to happen it starts with education right and where else than primary school so with a lot of lobbying and some goodwill the bill is intended to become a national law in the whole country because we want every primary school to include climate change into their teaching programs so this is how we segmented the whole project we advocate for the gender inclusion in climate action so that we can address the mistakes and misconceptions of the past on the role of women in climate action women has her role in climate action the second part is teaching and training and enabling women to be capable human beings and address these climate issues firsthand and then the third part of our project is addressing a future generation where we want to build more conscious young people in the coming years so yeah this is how we are planning to grapple climate change impacts here wow this is I a hope lot that yeah it yeah. did yeah. it did and i love i love what you're doing i love how holistic your solutions are the fact that you're not just you're not covering just one part of the issue you're trying to deal with all the facets of the issues and comprehensive so this is what we call comprehensive problem solving so you're not just looking at the present you're looking at what happened before now what is happening now and what will happen in the future and that is beautiful and 150 women is a lot for now that, for now yeah for now and you're doing this on a year or year about and that is when you told me this before and I was really stunned that you got that number already in your community in this space of time and i love success stories right and i love to hear about women who are crushing it and succeeding and excelling in difficult terrains 
And do you have one or two stories that you want to share about some of the women in your community and the difference they are making already as a result of the training that they've got? Yes, of course. Not that we do not like to share happy story, but <laughs> our, our, our NGO is still small and a young one. We haven't impacted, to be honest with you, because I like to see things from an impact point of view. Mm -hmm. We are working with 150 women and we are expecting to impact 70 to 80 families with our program that we're doing. When we saw that young lady, she's a lady, young lady now, but before when we met her in the community, she was still a kid. That was like six to seven years ago. We took this young lady with us and then we introduced her to a program that was happening then with the USA and the US embassy here. A community civil society. So she has lost her mom at a very young age. She lives with her dad and her siblings. So as the eldest kid of the family, she has to do everything. She has to go to school. She has to cook. She has to provide also because her dad is also a disabled man. When we saw that young lady, she's a lady, young lady now, but before, when we met her in the community, she was still a kid. That was like six to seven years ago. We took this young lady with us and then we introduced her to a program that was happening then with the USA and the US embassy here. And that program was actually also doing the same thing we're doing now with capacity building and also strengthening women and capacities in order to deal with the socioeconomic and challenges of their livelihoods, right? So with that program, the young lady has, she has gotten a few trainings. Right now she owns her own business. She is into handcraft. Wow. So she designs, uh, yeah, she designs horses, small wallets, hang, handbags and all that. And she has also benefited from a funding opportunity from USAID. We helped her craft her proposals. We did all the paperwork with her. And right now she's financially stable. She has a small shop in her village. And yeah, she has a decent income and she can provide for her family and for her sick dad right now. So that's one of our forever success stories. I love the story. It's a very touching and powerful story. And I think there's nothing that can be more beautiful than giving people a second chance at life. And it's beautiful. And I'll just say, well done. I, I was going to ask you how significant is the contribution of women like this young lady you just mentioned to the economy of Djibouti. And it's clear the difference she's making for our family for her younger ones right. and it was going to just sound like a rhetorical question so but right. we've established that what you're currently doing and the outcomes on the livelihood of women but what more do you think can be done you've already highlighted that next year you want to increase the number of women you're supporting so can you just talk me through what your plan is for next year i'm giving you the chance to talk more about next year now Sure. Coming back on the previous question, I just want to highlight one very important point. We need to know the importance of women in the society as a whole. 
right? Not just when we're confronted with climate change or when we have conflict or when we have disaster of any kind, because we know that women are the, they are the backbone of the whole society. They are the mothers, they nurture, they protect, they provide. Yeah. In Africa, you will see mothers breaking their back so that their children can eat something at night, right? That is so, true. For you to understand how they are involved in the economy of the country, this woman contributes largely in the economy of the country when and only when they are equipped with the right tools as knowledge and financial capital. Because they make a very huge difference with so little, Daniel. With so little, they can make a huge difference. So when we equip this woman with the right tools, with knowledge and with financial capital, I think they will move mountains. That I am sure. I agree and, Yeah, and moreover, women have a very critical role in fisheries and farm, right? Since we are talking about food insecurity, since we are talking about how to feed the planet, women are the backbone or of everything that we eat because they are the farmers. They are the farmers. 60% of farmers in the third world are women, unfortunately. And these women are not ready to face climate change, right? So yeah. what, what I would like to stress on for the next year, we want to enable these women as key players in ensuring food security for their community. They are not involved in resource management policy frameworks. They don't know how to manage their own resources. And they are not involved in when the government or other institutions are designing this sort of frameworks, women are not involved. So again, I will stress on the right inclusion of women in climate actions, in resource management policy frameworks. Because if you do not call them to the table, and you are designing something for them, it doesn't really make sense to me. At all. Right? It's like, yeah, it's like I go to the doctor, I'm sick, but somebody else is speaking for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that doesn't make, yeah, that doesn't make any sense, right? No, it doesn't. <laughs> the, other person, yeah, the other person doesn't know your, your struggles and things that you go through on a daily basis. So I feel like they have the right to be on the table and decide on their own livelihood and how it should be strengthened and helped. So for next year, we will be working with policymakers, especially climate policymakers at the national level, because we want to create awareness on the role of women around these issues of a changing environment. So that's our plan. That's generally our plan next year. Okay. All right. Thank because you so much. We need because we need a major paradigm shift. We Absolutely. we are not yeah, we're not having it any other way anymore. <laughs> it's it's high time. It's high time for that. Yes. All right. Great. So uh thank you, Umi, once again. My next question to you here will be and I love how you where you ended uh on the on, on the previous question, which was stressing that next year you want to prioritize policy making and inclusive of course including women in the policy design process and the question i would then ask you is what does the landscape the political landscape in Djibouti look like 
in terms of women inclusion and women participation currently? Right. So as a brief review of what we said previously, we've mentioned that women have a critical role in the fisheries and farm, but then as key players in ensuring food security for the community, they are not involved in resource management policy frameworks. Yeah. And this is very alarming and it calls for a major paradigm shift because they play a very important role on the ground. They cover a lot. They do a lot when it comes to fishery and farming. But then when it comes to drafting or designing resource management policy frameworks, they are nowhere to be found. So we believe that including them, it's only going to be effective. It's only going to make these frameworks more effective and more impactful, right? So, and then when it comes to the political landscape of the women in Djibouti and how they are involved in climate policy making, what I have to say is, that the government of Djibouti has made tremendous, significant efforts to support women's economic empowerment. It has allowed women to participate in the governance. And actually, we have around a quarter of Djibouti's minister and member of the National Assembly being a woman. They are very involved politically and most of them work on peace and security issues. But then again, few of them are engaged in climate action. So what we now want to do is to get these ladies, ministers or legislators or policy makers, we want to get their attention. We want to bring their attention so that they will be more involved in climate action. Thank you so much for that. And I think it totally makes sense listening to you. And it now makes sense for me to listen to everything you said before and understand where you're coming from and how you've made it known that the women are there. Because I remember you talking about the goodwill and lobbying and you know getting the attention of female ministers. And now we know they're there. They are currently focused on issues like security and, and peace and conflict but now we're saying there's also something here that you need to pay attention to there's also something here that you need to look at that is fundamental because as you've said earlier if people don't have food if people don't have water and there's conflict, no peace there's no peace right and so uh climate security is essential to to human security Climate security and climate justice is essential for peace and security because, and most of the time in East Africa, conflicts start with people that have been displaced because of water and food scarcity, because of natural resource mismanagement. They are displaced because they cannot get food and water securities in their place. So they go and move to the next village and it sparks conflicts and creates unrest between the communities. So for us or for the global community to address peace and security, first of all, I think it's just common sense that we address the food and water insecurity that is 
prompting all that is pushing these people to go and start and rest somewhere else. So yeah. Wow, thank you so much for that. And I wish you all the best with this. And the one thing I know about women is women leaders are human. They are people-centered leaders. There's a lot of research that backs that up that when women are in leadership, they prioritize welfare and people and development of people on the ground, right? So I do believe that you're not going to have issues with lobbying these female leaders or women leaders to, to take action for climate and to drive efforts to, to make life better for people on the ground. One of the other things I want to say as we have this conversation is my own takeaway from this conversation is a consciousness. And I've listened to you a couple of times reiterate two things, food and water. And, you know, all my life, I, I have been in places where water is abundant. A couple of times I found myself in spaces where, yeah, you had to do a little more to get it. You had to probably walk a distance to get it, but it's there. I have never really been in any place where water was was a resource where or where I had to think of water as a limited resource. And it's just dawning on me now that this is not the situation everywhere in the world. Yeah, that my consciousness of water as a limited resource has really been heightened by this conversation. And I want to say thank you for bringing that to my notice. And not, not just to my notice, you're making me aware. Every time I have a glass of water in my hand, I'm thinking about a child in Djibouti, or a child in the Horn of Africa, for whom this is not just a resource. This is about survival. And I think for us here, in Nigeria and some part of West Africa and other places where we seem to have abundance of water, we should begin to think about how we use these resources, how to conserve yeah. it, and how to treat it mindfully. And thank you so much for bringing that up. So the next question I'm going to ask you is unscripted, but we're talking about how climate change affects women. And sometimes, as a man, you may not be able to see the entire spectrum of the problem or how it affects women. And there are probably things that I have omitted or things that I did not say or things that I did not properly communicate. So I'm trying to say, um, if there are things like that, do you want to use the next couple of minutes to flesh them out or to highlight those things? as we seek to create better opportunity for women through climate change adaptation. Thank you for this question. It's more like, I wouldn't say it's a question, but it's just sort of summarizing everything that we have said and just to pinpoint what we might have left behind. I think I only have like two points that I would want to talk about again. I will want to remind everybody that climate change is the fight of everybody. 
it's not only a woman's problem, it's not only a man's problem. It's all of us. It's, it affects the whole human spectrum, right? Yes. So in order in order to deal with it effectively, we need to combine all our efforts. We need to include everyone so that the solutions that we want to that we want to design for these issues will be inclusive. We want to have a community or communities where everybody is able to go against the effects of climate change. By that, we mean that we are not leaving anybody behind. We are not leaving no one behind. And I'm stressing on this point because women and disabled people are most likely to be left behind when we have any sort of crisis. Let it be a climate crisis, let it be a security crisis, let it be an economy crisis. Any type of crisis affect women and young people and disabled uh, groups differently, right? The climate change is another crisis, so it will have the same impact on these vulnerable groups. So, what we want to create awareness around is to have holistic and inclusive strategies or measures in the fight against the changing environment. The second point that I would like to highlight, right as a conclusion for this awesome podcast, is floods, droughts, food scarcity, water scarcity are things that happen because of climate change. They are the impacts that our society are dealing with on a daily basis. But we also need to understand that these effects can be mitigated, right? Because we can prepare ahead, we can build responsive and proactive measures to feel less of these impacts. For example, I'll just give you an example now, a very basic example. If you know that a drought or that flood is coming in the next two to three years, what the Western countries do is they forecast ahead, they build early warning mechanism, they strengthen their own infrastructure so that less impact will be felt by their citizens. What we need to do is to manage the risks that is coming with all these disasters, right? To think ahead of time. That's very proactive step in managing drought and flood. But what we do in the reality is just to manage the crisis. We manage the crisis when the crisis is already here, it's already happening. That's when we look for humanitarian aid. That's when we, we look for shelter for displaced people. That's where we, we go around the world and ask for all these institutions like the WFP, like the Organization for Food and Agriculture to come and help people on ground. But we can plan for these things ahead of time. Before they happen, we can build infrastructures that can retain water in the soil. We can build dams that can retain the water from rain. 
in order to use them for agricultural uses later on. We can manage the soil in a way that it retains its own nutrients. You know, we can also train and equip the community with technologies that would enable them to be more resilient. And all these things are actually opportunities. People can get money from all these activities, right? So we need to look into risk management when it comes to disaster, climate disasters. And also in the same time, look into the opportunities that are in risk management when it comes to climate disasters. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Bumi. I have taken a lot of your time today and I'm just going to say thank you. Like, thank you once again for your resilience and commitment to sharing what you know what you do, the insights you've gathered over the years with a broader community like mine. And my last two questions to you are regular questions. They are questions that everyone gets on the podcast. So the first one will, will be, yes, you're just starting, but where do you see your organization in the next five years? Wow, that's a very powerful question. It, it, it makes me shake sometimes when I get asked this kind of question. But in the same time, also, it motivates me on moving forward. So for the next five years, we are, yes, we are a new NGO. We are a baby when it comes to working with the community and helping the community. But we are not going for anything less than being a leading climate change organization in the Horn of Africa. We are going to take on more activities when it comes to working with the community, when it comes to community service, when it comes to community capacity building, because we plan to implement our program or project throughout the whole region. As of now, it's only a pilot project, and we want this pilot project to make its proof. We want to, first of all, produce positive outcomes before we upscale our activity in the region. In the five next year, you will hear about us because we're not going anywhere. We are here to stay and we're here to move forward. We are here to impact not only Djiboutian communities that have been impacted by droughts. We are going to upscale our activities into the region. We are looking to work with communities in Kenya, in Somalia, in Ethiopia. And yeah, we will continue to make the positive change happen. Thank you so much for highlighting one thing that is fundamental about climate change. And that is the fact that it's a global problem. It is a global problem. We are all in this together. We are. And we are surely coming to Nigeria too in the coming five years. I will, I'm definitely looking forward to it. So like I said, we're all in this together, regardless of our tribe, gender, race, color, demography. And that's why I really appreciate what you're doing. And the fact that you're not sitting, you don't want to sit on the ideas. You don't want to sit on the information. You don't want to sit on the progress. You don't just want to be a light to the people in Djibouti and East Africa alone. You want to be a light to the continent. 
And all I can say is, please go on and shine your light because we all need you to shine as bright as you can. Last question is, yeah, related to the previous one, which is bringing our light as young people to other people, not hiding what we know, but sharing what we know with other people and promoting this culture of knowledge sharing, technical knowledge transfer and all of that. And the simple question will be, who would you want to be on this podcast? You have two slots. You have a slot for two. Wow, that's a very interesting question. Wow. (laughs) You are giving me a tough time with this question now because I know of so many young, strong, smart and powerful young African leaders that are doing tremendous work in their own community. And I can't just help but think about how I can just choose two of them. It's a very hard assignment you're giving me just now, Daniel. Okay. Wow, let me think about it. I'm very passionate about kids. I'm very passionate about women. In general, I'm very passionate about people that are vulnerable and anything that goes into helping and strengthening and building unable people. It's something that is very close to my heart. So the first person I will mention is is a young lady who has a foundation in Nigeria. She takes care of sick kids. She makes sure that she provides the medical care that that they need with their network of people with the people that she knows with her talent of bringing people together she gives kids the right and appropriate medical care that they need and that's aisha children foundation she is from nigeria and she should be somebody that you could have on your podcast because i know she has a lot of interesting things to share with us she's a light in her own community and we will also like to to see that light shared to us as well the next person that i will mention is somebody who is also involved with the community he does a lot to combat poverty he has a food bank in nigeria also his name is Mohammed salban popularly known under Hunger Hero. And he's a hero in his own community because what he does will speak volume of his perspective and whatever he believes in. Yeah. And he's also a good fit for your podcast. Thank you. All right. Is that all? You only gave me two slots, Daniel. <laughs> am, I allowed, am I allowed to add one more? Go ahead. Hey, there's this wonderful person that I met during my Mandela Washington Fellowship. She was a member of my cohort. Her name is Ruth. We call them Mama Apako. And she works with women and young girls that have been affected by conflict, that have been under violence during conflict and during wars in her own community. She's from Cameroon, and she is somebody that you need to hear from. Okay. Her story, 
her story is one of a kind. I'm telling you, Daniel, the first time I listened to her story, actually we were in the hall and the first time we heard about the story, everybody had shed a tear. She's very passionate about what she does. She has gone through a lot and still with that, she has helped a huge amount of people. She is a very, very inspiring young lady. She inspires me a lot. Yeah, you should have her on, on her podcast. Anytime you're ready, let me know. I'm just gonna, you know, introduce the both of you and you will thank me later. Okay. Thank you so much, Umi. Thank you. I can't thank you enough for this, honestly. Considering all the logistical issues we've had today and even before today, thank you so much for keeping up the energy and you know making sure that we still have this conversation and bringing it to a very insightful end the truth is that you are going to be back of course you're going to be back you're going to be back to share updates to share insights to share knowledge and to talk about the results and the transformation that your project is creating for women in Djibouti and in East Africa and I just want to say thank you and what will be your last word? Right, yeah, I will be back to share more on the outcome of the project, how it has impacted women and the whole community, what were the transformational aspects of the whole project, what lessons we have to share with the people, what were our challenges and all that. We will be back to share all that with you if you will have us. My oh. last word it's for you naturally thank you for having us thank you for having us in your podcast thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk about what is happening in reality in Djibouti when it comes to climate change how women are dealing with it what we are doing to progress and how we see the future so thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk about our challenges our prospects the opportunities and how we want to build resilience around these climate issues. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Umi, and thank you for everyone who has tuned in to listen to this particular episode of the Climate Opportunity Podcast. Do join me again on another insightful episode. Umi, till I see you next time, bye-bye and God bless you. Yeah, bye and thank you.